Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening today. Uh, I'm really excited to have Kimberly Shingledecker on the phone with me. She is in West Virginia and uh, is a co-owner of Pies and Pints, uh, which was started back in 2003 by Kimberly and her partner, David Bailey, uh, with one location at the time. And uh, here we are in 12 years later, and they're about to open their ninth location. Uh, they have some franchise locations. They're in multiple states. So a really cool story of, of growth and success, and um, really excited to talk to Kimberly today. So, Kimberly, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. No problem, Will. Um, tell me about when you all got started. You, I read a little bit, of, you know, kind of getting ready for this. I read some articles and stuff about you all. So you, you had a business background, but not necessarily a restaurant background. Uh, and I think your, your partner, David, may have been in the restaurant business before. Is that right? And what, what, what led you to start Pies and Pints? Well, I actually have I had a lot of restaurant background. Um, my degree is in business marketing management, but I, you know, from the time I was, I don't know, 12 years old, I worked in restaurants, started out washing dishes, and then um, my first job was in a fast food restaurant the day I turned 16, and then just stayed in, and then worked my way up through fine dining, bartending, banquet serving. I did it all. And um, I actually had a restaurant also before I started Pies and Pints. I had a coffee shop cafe for about three years, and then I sold that. And uh, a friend of mine told me I should check out Utah, went out there for some snowboarding, and ended up managing some restaurants out there. And that's where I met uh, David, who was from New York, and he grew up in his, working in his dad's pizza shop in Long Island. And we worked together really well um, at a, just at a ski resort restaurant. It was fine dining, but um, we really liked working together. And I started telling him how I thought the pizza place would do really well back in Fayetteville. And uh, he was like, all right, let's do it. So we went back to Fayetteville, and I uh, borrowed about $20,000 on a credit card. And we started in the basement of an old house. And then um, four years later, we expanded to a three times size place and then you know you kind of know the rest of it now we have about nine locations well we're getting ready to open our ninth location that's awesome so you you all so you okay so you did i thought i had so you had tons of restaurant experience but then so you had worked for other people and then you you kind of got to the point where you wanted to do um oh i guess after your coffee shop and so you had that for what three years you said three years yeah and that was Three something years. I totally did on my own kind of thing, and actually really didn't. I really didn't enjoy it at all. I learned a lot of lessons owning that restaurant. So I learned I wasn't a morning person, and I learned that I uh, I needed a business partner. Oh, you did. So a business partner because there were things that, about the business that you didn't, you know, skills sets that weren't your strengths, or things you didn't like as much. That you needed somebody to balance that out, or what? Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, that and just, you know, someone to, to share the, the highs and the lows with as well. Because when you're low, being low alone is not that fun. And when you're high, being high alone, and that doesn't really sound that right, but you know what I'm trying to say, you know. It's just, I think it's much better when you have somebody there with you, you know, to experience everything and to, yeah, to, to your strengths, you know, sometimes, you know, if they're, Weaknesses are your strengths, and your strengths are their weaknesses. You balance out that way, and yeah, just everything about it to me made a lot more sense having a business partner. Yeah, it can be a lonely road for sure, uh, but and that's true. That's a good point. It's not just the lows; it's the highs too. You need you want somebody to 
to, to, to share in that and enjoy that together. So, uh, well, that's good. So good lessons you got out of the, the first three years with the coffee shop. And then so you all moved to Fayetteville, and and you literally started off a, off a credit card. That's right. Yep. That's, that's awesome. Uh, and so you did, then you didn't have to, you didn't, you didn't get investors or anything like that. You were able to do it. You guys were able to do it yourselves to, to get started. Yeah. We, um, you know, we had, we each had maybe between us, maybe $5,000. Um, we had the credit card and then I had, you know, the credit card was back then, you know, in 2003, you could get these like really low interest credit lines of credit for like, so I was able to get $20,000, and I think the first year was maybe 0%, and then it went to, like, 7% or something. But basically, we just used the credit card to get started. And then once we were up and running, I took all of that debt to a banker and um, consolidated it all. I think we ended up getting, like, an SBA loan for another – I think we did another 20000 on top of that and paid off the credit card. And then put the loan into like a, I think it was maybe a seven-year loan for you know around forty thousand dollars. That's awesome. So you were able to get you know kind of be creative with how you got started, and, and then um, you were in the basement of a house. So you, I mean, you guys must have you know, um, you didn't have to obviously do uh, I guess a big build out or anything like that at that point and you were you able to get used equipment or how how did you keep your overhead low to you know kind of get started to make sure you were you, you got a good start out of the gate yeah this I mean this space has had already been used for like a it was like a sub shop so I mean it, it had like some tables and chairs and it had some stuff in there but you know we did we ended up Dave and I, like, we did some demolition ourselves. We got one person to help us with the, you know, building everything out. We had maybe 20 seats inside and about 30 seats outside. We got open that year, like, in April, and we were closed by the end of October. Like, that first year, we were only really open for four months, and then David and I had to go get jobs. And then we reopened again in, um, I think, March the next year. So those first two years, we were actually just even seasonal. So. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And you, um, what what worked for you? I mean, I know you had um, you had a good partner, um, and you had, I'm sure, really good quality food. I think you guys did things like instead of, you know, with your dough, instead of using sugar, you use honey and you use filtered water instead of regular water and uh, kosher salt instead of regular salt, things like that. So, I mean, was it really just something different in the product that um, people in Fayetteville in 2003 had not seen? Was it a new taste? Yeah, I mean, like you said, in Fayetteville in 2003, you know, so in, you know, a rural town in West Virginia, yeah, it was different than the pizza that they were used to. You know, in other parts of the country, this was nothing new. You know, everybody was doing high-quality, you know, stuff then. So the other thing that was new for this area, you know, at that time, is we were only doing craft beer, or we were, you know, we did a lot of craft beer. As a matter of fact, when we first opened, we tried to do no Budweiser, no Bud, no Budweiser. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. that did not – That our two things were no Bud, no Bud Light, and then also we did no ranch dressing. Uh, we eventually came to the Bud and Bud Light. Like, people are very um, adamant about their Budweiser. <laughs> but we <laughs> still, to this day, have no ranch dressing, something we're very proud of. Because my full, 
my whole thing was I feel like people, this whole, I, I, I joke around about writing a book called The Ranchification of America because I feel like ever since this thing, ranch dressing was in, invented, people don't have to have food that tastes good. They can just have anything and dip it in ranch. And my whole point was our pizza is good enough that you don't have to dip it in ranch. You can eat the crust and it has flavor and it tastes good. It stands on its own. So, and I would educate the staff to, you know, when people would ask, why don't you have ranch dressing? And so to this day, we do have our own, we make creamy gorgonzola. So people really insist on having something, you know, it's really good. And uh, we give them that. So. There you go. That's good. Well, that's cool. I, I, you know what? I've never had ranch in my entire life. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else I know that has has not had it, but I haven't. So I, I love it, man. I, I think that's cool. <laughs> do you think it helped to stand for something like that? Like, do you think that that? You know, I mean, I know it was important to you, but do you think that it helped people kind of admire what you all were doing? Um, and obviously, it was tough with the the Budweiser, but um, are there things like that? And using those, you know, you. Know, Using those really high quality ingredients that that uh, were important to the business early on, or maybe even today. Yeah, I mean, our whole thing, you know, with our our restaurant is that, you know, when we first opened that restaurant in, you know, in 2003 in a rural town in West Virginia. I mean, it was a huge tourist town. So I mean, we're getting people from Washington D.C. and um, Charlotte. North Carolina and Cincinnati, and so we're getting people from the city that kind of that got what we were doing. But as far as the locals and edu- you know, we spent a lot of time on education, educating um, our staff to educate the customers on why we were doing what we were doing. You know, like why we didn't have butter but like because it, we we wanted them to experience something they had never experienced before. So what we would you know we would get the servers to be like. So you normally, you like Budweiser, and we would, you know, get them to explain, so what you're drinking is a lager, you know what I mean? So why don't you try, we have these other lagers, why don't, you know, we would get free taste of the, you know. So maybe not every single person would change, but, you know, one out of five, they would at least taste it, and then they would consider it, you know, and a lot of people would tell us, like, oh, you know, I never thought I liked beer except for, you know, Bud Light, but now I'm drinking this, you know, this other local beer, you know, or, Back then, we didn't really have anything local to West Virginia. You know, since we've opened, there's about five or six new group hubs in West Virginia. So it's awesome that we can now serve beer from West Virginia. But, we, you know, we serve beer from Ohio, you know, neighboring states. And and then as far, you know, and then all the way from California, we were big on Rogue back then, which, you know, nobody in West Virginia was serving Rogue. And, you know, we were serving tons of it. Um, we did draft root beer, which was something that nobody – was doing and everybody thought that you know our, our theory there was you know we had a pint for everyone if you didn't like beer then you could you know drink the root beer and, and people loved the root beer we were serving saranac root beer which people like we tried a lot of different root beers but this particular saranac root beer root beer aficionados just love this root beer so um and then even with our pizza we had to educate people we put our sauce on top we don't put it on the bottom and our thought on that is that the cheese bakes into the crust you know and the sauce doesn't make it all soggy um these fresh herbs instead of dry herbs, you know. So we were really letting people experience things they never thought were possible with pizza, you know. Putting grapes on a pizza, that was just, you know, people had never heard of that. And uh, so, yeah, all of that stuff made us stand out, made us be different, gave people, started a conversation, you know. People would be like, oh, you got to try this pizza place. They put grapes on a pizza. I know it's crazy, but, you know, you're going to love it. So, yeah, definitely, you know, we tried to do – 
we tried to raise the bar on everything we did, and we tried to do push the envelope on our toppings. And you know, Dave and I really like food, so when we would try something, you know, like we had this Cuban pork sandwich, which was like pulled pork, but it was done Cuban style, not like North, you know, not like barbecue. We had that in Colorado somewhere. I'm like, this would be awesome on a pizza, and that's one of our one of my favorite pieces is Cuban pulled pork that we do. We make our own pork butts in-house. And uh, then the pizza is, you know, it's pork, it's pineapple, jalapenos, cilantro, which is and it's mm. full of flavor, creme fraiche, no sauce, no red sauce on it. You know, we finish it with creme fraiche. Um, and it's really good. And so, yeah, all of that stuff made us stand out. And the, the other thing was people are like, you'll never be able to charge $20, you know, for a pizza in West Virginia. And, you know, that was Price was not an issue. It really wasn't. That's awesome. I mean, you know, um, first of all, my mouth's watering now, but second of all, <laughs> did, you, did you ever, particularly early on, um, you know, educating a market can be frustrating and require a lot of patience. Were there times when you were just thinking, God, what are we, what are we done? Or, or, or did you always feel like, you know what, if we just stick with this and our, get our staff behind it and we stay with it, this is you know, people are going to, you know, because I, I get it. Like early on, you, you've got people traveling from around there. It's a vacation spot. People are coming and they're, they're rafting and kayaking and all the stuff they do around Sable. But with, but you're, you're, for your local audience, did it, did it take longer than you thought or were there times when you, you were, you know, just frustrated by the process or talk, tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, in the early years, the off seasons were, they were hard for sure. I mean, it was, um, you know, our space kind of sucked for, you know, it was really cold. You know, it was the basement of the house, and it was really drafty and old and cold, and so we only had a few seats inside, and, you know, and, he, and even, but so even then, though, sometimes we still couldn't fill them, you know, because people, yeah, I mean, people were still getting used to this idea of, you know, even just knowing, you know, that we're there and that we're open in the wintertime, and that, so, yeah, when it was, when we had to rely on just the locals, and, you know, that, it was hard, but the thing there, what we learned about is that consistency was key. You have to be open. You have to stick to your hours no matter what. You can't close at 7 o'clock because nobody's in the restaurant. You know, if you say that you're going to be open until 8 or 9 o'clock, then you have to stay open until 8 or 9 o'clock. And, you know, we stuck to it. And eventually, you know, we, you know, we, we still, January and February are our slowest months, but, you know, that's kind of tradition, I mean, that's kind of industry standard that January and February are your slowest months. You know, we finally are, you know, making money during the off season, and it, it took a long time, but, but we had, but to say that it take longer than we thought it would, I, some, you know, sometimes I thought we would never, you know, that when we first opened, I thought we might just be a seasonal restaurant. So the fact that we stay open and they're even profitable in those in those months now says to me that you can educate, you know what I mean? And we have diehard people, locals that, you know, they love our restaurant. And we and just sticking to your plan and, you know, and knowing as long as you see a couple more people every time and you have people that tell you, you know, they really appreciate what you're doing and stuff, like, yeah, I don't. We never thought like, oh, let's just cave in and do, you know, regular pizza. That's what, that's what people call it. People will come in and ask us, "Do you have just regular pizza?" And like, I think it's <laughs> mean. Do you have cheese pizza with pepperoni? Yes, of course we do have that. You know what I mean? But no, we never once thought like, oh, let's just you know cut corners and just start doing 
you know, what everybody else is doing. Never at one, not, not one time. I mean, if anything, we tried to go in the opposite direction. And at, at times, you know, I would even be like, maybe we should do, you know, coal-fired or wood-fired or, you know, maybe we should try to go pizza napolitano, you know, the strict, you know, only water, flour, oil. But our, but our pizza – our pizza is solid, and we like our product. And when we've tried to change it to make it better, um, there's there are issues that come about that you don't, you know, as far as like, yeah, it's easy to do wood fired if you only have a certain amount of customers, and you're not, you know what I mean. But we get really, really, really busy at times, you know, and we'll do three to four hundred pizzas on a Saturday night. So, you know, our pizza is good, is really good, and it really works for the style of pizza we're doing and the amount of volume that we're doing. So, unless that answers wow. <laughs> No, it very much does, which brings me to then, so you really uh, have figured out um, your formula, your product, um, and, you know, your how to be consistent. So then, I'm, I'm curious, when, tell me a little bit about your growth, because, you know, you've now you're opening your ninth restaurant in 12 years, so it's almost one a year. How many of those do you all, you and David own, and, and then I know you started franchising, so what kind of what led to, when did that happen, and tell me a little bit about the growth process. So in 2006 is when we, we bought a new building because we just, we had two-hour waits at the, you know, the old basement, Location and we actually had a um, a park that we overflowed into, which we were lucky because we can actually kind of serve people in the park. But in 2005, we were up to two hour waits and we just we couldn't we were just bursting at the seams. So we bought a building, moved there, and, and literally, I mean, this place was we went from having 25 seats inside to having 100 seats inside and then an additional or did we do no we had 60 seats inside and then an additional 50 seats outside when we first opened this new new space so that's so we got that open in 2007 and immediately when we opened we already had weights again which we thought you know so um so immediately so by the next season we added 50 more seats so then we had um about 150 seats total. 50 of those were outside, so they were seasonal, but that worked for us because we were a seasonal restaurant. So now we're in this really big space. We have a lot of room and everything, and everything's going well. And that's at the time, so that's 2007. That's when we kind of had economies of scale where up until this point, David and I were, we had to be in the restaurant all the time. Because we were busy, but we weren't making enough money that we can actually pay managers. So when we... So in 2007, when we had, you know, we went from, I think we were maxed out at like 400,000 a year worth our gross sales at the original location. And then in 2007, when we went to the new location, we jumped up to almost 800,000 that year. Um, so now we're like, so now we can afford to pay some managers. So get some managers in place and then um, that. David and I up to kind of look at, you know, a lot of people would ask us, you know, can you open one here, open one there? But, you know, so we started talking, you know, maybe we should do another location. So we started looking at 
some places within an hour to two hours of our original location. Fayetteville, West Virginia is kind of the closest next big town is Charleston, which is the capital. And yeah. then there's um, Morgantown, which is where West Virginia University is. And then we even considered Blacksburg, which is where um, that's uh, Virginia, but it's about an hour and a half from us, and that's another college town. So we kind of looked at those areas, and um, we found a really great space in Charleston, so we decided to do Charleston. We also felt that an hour away was good. We are, we knew we already had a good customer base there, that people would drive an hour to Fayetteville. So um, that is that, and that was so. That's 2010 that we started working. That we found that space, and we started working on that um, space, and we found, we got that open in December of uh, 2010. And so um, that was actually really hard getting that restaurant open. David actually opened another restaurant that same year. He and his now wife, fiance at the time, they um, have a, a concept that they started in Fayetteville as well called the Secret Sandwich Society. So David was kind of working on that. And so I kind of ended up doing the, the restaurant in Charleston on my own a lot. And, um, I mean, he, he helped, but not as much as he had helped in the past. So that was kind of uh, our relationship was a little bit – that kind of wore on our relationship a lot, a lot of arguing and stuff. Just was a lot of – very stressful. But we got it up and running, and it was very, very successful right out of the gate we were doing when we first opened and because we, we got it open also right around Christmas time and um, really big eight to ten thousand dollar days um, and so we had that open for a few months I think it was uh, maybe around March that um, some people approached us that said they really that they liked our concept and they wanted to um, they wanted to know what our growth plan was and stuff and David and I had already decided that we were not going to do any more restaurants, but we were happy with the two, and um, that was plenty for us. But then um, the, the two gentlemen approached us, and kind of we all came to an agreement where they would um, we were going to form a new company, and it would only include the Charleston store would be the first store of the new company. They did they weren't really interested in the Fayetteville store because it didn't really fit a good model as far as it was too seasonal and, and all of that. So they um so we all agreed to, you know, David and I took a smaller piece of the bigger pie. We kind of stepped back. I still do marketing for the company. Um David took a David's working on his own his other business so he doesn't have any sort of management in this in the new company. And then Rob Lindemann, who used to be the um, president CEO of um, another business, another restaurant, whose name for some reason is escaping me right now, um, he became our CEO and president, and he's the one that has now taken the two restaurants to nine restaurants because that is his. Uh, ex- he has a lot of experience and expertise in doing that. So he negotiates the lease, finds the spaces and gets the restaurants open. And we only, the only franchise we have as, as of right now is the Morgantown store is um, franchise. But the other, all the other locations are owned by myself, David, Rob, and uh, Blue Fire Capital is the other gentleman's um, company. And um, 
And then we sell uh, shares in each of the restaurants. So each restaurant is owned individually by us. We own 70%, and then 30% is investors. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, so that's a big change then. So did you – was that a hard transition to make from being, you know, sort of the blood, sweat, and tears of doing it on your own and getting the second one and having a lot of success to then kind of handing over a lot of the lot of the control and autonomy to, you know, folks from the outside? I mean, I'm sure financially it was good in a lot of ways, but was it psychologically, were there times when that was, that was challenging? This is sort of your baby? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it was for David at all. Um, for me, it was a little bit, um, yeah, like, you know, at times I was really excited about doing it, you know, just because we were, that, getting that second location was so stressful that it was kind of nice to think about handing it over, but then, yeah, part of me was like, what am I doing, you know, but, um, the first one that Rob got open, the first location, which was in Worthington, Ohio, which is close to where he lives, you know, David and I walked into it, and you definitely, you know, the food was great. Like, the one night thing, Rob, I have to say, has been awesome about, you know, when we met, he, they asked us, you know, what are your sacred cows? What are the things that you're not willing to give up on, you know, and you know, or not willing to to sacrifice, you know. And, and, and David and I came up with some things, and, um, you know. No ranch like, dressing. <laughs> That was exactly one of them, no reinforcement. Um, but one thing we forgot about, like our restaurants, we never wanted to have TVs in our restaurant. Our first restaurant didn't have any TVs. And then the second mm-hmm. restaurant, we kind of paid and we put, we had two TVs in there. And um, we walked into this new location and they had like eight TVs. They're like, oh my God, you know, like that was, that's one of the very first things you're like, wow, we forgot about the TVs, you know. So it just had this totally different feel that we were not, you know, we just didn't think about. And um, also, we were always very specific about what we put on the TVs. Like, the TVs were not on unless there could be a major sporting event. We were fine with that. I mean, that's what people wanted the, the TVs for, were for the sports. But then if there wasn't a major sporting event, we always had it on, um, It was it's called pool TV. I don't even know if it exists now. But it always had, like, snowboarding or surfing or, you know, those kind of cool, what we thought were cool and, you know, kind of um, extreme sports. Like, that's kind of the, that's the vibe we wanted for the restaurant. That's what we thought, you know, when we thought of Pies and Pines, that's what we thought of, you know, because we were also in this town. Fayetteville is a rock climbing, whitewater kayaking, you know, it's kind of an extreme sports now. So it kind of fit that, we wanted it to fit that feel, you know. But we didn't think about, like, how does this translate into, you know, suburban suburbia ohio an ohio suburban restaurant you know so so we walk in and so not only are there like atvs they're like on i think like the shark tank was on one of them whatever <laughs> i was just like aghast you know like what's going on you know but we sat down and we talked to rob and we told him like all the things you know there were some other things they weren't as big as the tvs the tv thing is the one thing that stood out in my mind you know and we sat down and we you know we're like this isn't what we expected you know these things and blah 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 and you know, and and that first meeting was a little bit like kind of, you know, like I felt like it was like us against him, you know, and I think he felt that way too. Like, you know, I didn't sign on for this, you know, I don't I don't want to be challenged on every decision I make and that was we had that one meeting and we all walked away from it and thought about what each other said and 
is from then on, it's really been kind of smooth sailing. I mean, does he do everything the way that David and I would do it? No. But have David and I learned to kind of accept the fact that, you know, we're not in charge anymore, but we really like the direction our lives have gone in and that, you know, we like that we have the nine restaurants without us having to be. I mean, we don't we don't even have to step foot in these restaurants. They get opened and we go to the opening parties and taste the food to make sure, you know, and it tastes just like the food, the recipes we gave them the day we signed the deal. So I'm not saying that everybody would be that lucky to have everything, you know, go that smoothly, but I am saying that we – the deal we have have struck with the direction we took, we're ninety nine percent pretty pleased with. That's cool. That's really cool, Kimberly. Um, I mean, that's that's really a um, what a what a great you know a, just a great run for y'all and a good business you built and a great brand and um, you know I really I tip my hat. I, I tell you one thing that. Um, one thing I want to ask you, I'm curious, you've been there, you've been around the restaurant business long enough, I'm sure, to have some thoughts on this. Um, but look, you know, so I've been, uh, I, I was, you know, we were talking a little bit before the interview about, you know, I did the book a few years ago, and we did the video series, and now we're doing this. And, you know, so I go around uh, all these scheduled flight customers, and I, I look for ones that I think have done something neat, and I, I research, you know, who owns them, and, 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 um, and it seems like it's always it's very rare um that I can find female restaurant owners. And I mean they're they it's not they don't exist. There's plenty of them like yourself that have been extremely successful and every time I, I, I find one it's always a great success story. Um it seems like without people so why why do how come more women don't own restaurants? I don't know. I know uh several women that own restaurants. <laughs> And I yeah, know you, several women that are your clients that own restaurants. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but it seems like the the I mean the majority of the time, and maybe not where you. I don't know. It just I, I find all it just uh, it's I, it's frustrating to me because I feel like <laughs> I meet so many great restaurant owners um, that are that are women, and I go, well, why don't more women? You know, why aren't there more women running restaurants? I mean, I just every time I, I come across somebody. Like yourself, I just I wonder that. Uh, I think it's uh, just a disservice to the industry, to be honest, um, that there aren't that there aren't more women running restaurants. So I just I don't know. I always ask. I'm just curious about that. Well, I mean, I think everyone knows that women tend to be smarter than men, and restaurants are a really hard way to make a buck. So if they're smart enough to stay away from it, maybe. <laughs> to stay away. They got enough common sense not to. Maybe it's lack of. I don't know. I mean. Not, not as much ego or whatever, but I mean seriously, I don't know. I just, I always just, I'm just curious about that. Um, uh, now, were you, um, so you, going kind of back to when you you got started, um, what, I guess what what's changed about your philosophy about the restaurants, if anything, from when you got started. To now. So, in other words, like what changed from working in a restaurant for a long time and doing lots of different jobs within restaurants and working for others to then you in the coffee shop, you learned some lessons there, and now you've, you've done this and you've transitioned, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to not the primary owner as well. So, what, what's kind of changed over the years of, of being a part of this um, that, that, you know, you, your philosophy or kind of the way you look at the restaurant business, if anything? 
or what lessons have you learned, I guess, maybe that, you know, um, you, you kind of had to learn through doing it? <laughs> well, I recently had a baby, and I can tell Congratulations. you that. <laughs> thank you. And I kind of had learned this even before I had the baby, but, um, you know, when I was uh, in my 20s working in restaurants, and I definitely see this with now with younger people and just in general in the restaurant industry is that people don't like kids in the restaurant industry and they would prefer and this is not everyone but just in general and especially if you don't have kids you know when you see a bunch of kids come in the restaurant you know you're thinking they're going to make a mess they're going to be you know everything about Mm. kids is kind of you know it's not it's not a server's favorite thing you know and so but what I have learned in being in the restaurant business is that you have to cater to kids. If you can win the kids over, then you've got the the parents, you know, are loyal customers to you. Like in, in Fayetteville, we actually have a playground in the back of the of the restaurant, and it, it's huge. You know, people, the parents all the time tell me how much, you know, if they're going to think of somebody, if they're going to go out to eat, they got to go somewhere that the kids can go and they can take the kids and have a beer while they're at the restaurant, you know. I'm not saying you have to build a playground, but you need to you need to think of things for the kids and keep the kids in mind and teach your staff that the kids are the most important thing um, because the, to the parents, the kids are the most important thing, so... That's one thing that, you know, I'm thinking back to my younger self, I was like, I never, you know, I'm not that I was mean to the kids, but I was never psyched to get a table with kids. Um, but you got to think of it differently. And I also, I think a lot of restaurants, um, you know, especially like I, I spend a lot of time out in um, Oregon, in Portland, Oregon, and in the restaurants that are, you know, really nice restaurants that are doing, you know, chef-owned and all this stuff, and they, you know, they, they want their plate a certain way, and they don't want any substitutions, and they don't want this, and they don't, you know, they don't serve, you know, and, and again, I know we don't serve very interesting, but we always, we never say no. What we say is we don't have ranch dressing, but we do have creamy gorgonzola if you would like to try that. Um, you need to figure out a way to say yes to people. Don't yeah. always just, don't say no and leave it at that. You gotta turn it around and make it a positive thing. And don't, and sometimes I think people take too much pride in saying, well, we don't do that. And that's, it's just offensive to people. And people don't wanna, they don't wanna hear no. And if you can't, in my opinion, if you can't figure out a way to say yes, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. And the kid, the idea about kids as well, um, I completely agree. I mean, we've, well, I've got three kids, um, <laughs> and trust me, the you places, have three kids and you've never had ranch dressing. I, it's not. My wife thinks I'm insane. My wife loves loves all kinds of condiments, and I I grew up. I was like this picky eater, and I wouldn't eat anything without the kids. And now I basically eat everything except for I don't eat anything with mayonnaise. I don't eat ranch. So I just <laughs> weird. Uh, and I'm. In a weird way, my kids are somehow following. My, it drives my wife crazy. Not one of them has ever had ranch either. And I'd actually like them to. I'd like them to have more condiments than they want now. I'm like, I guess they got the picky gene. But look, I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, you know, if you 
gosh, I mean, the places we go that, you know, where they're happy, then we're happy, and we're going to go a lot more often than, than you know. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, otherwise you're going to see us, you know, on our anniversary or whatever, and, you know, once or a couple of day nights a year, but, you know, make it, make it fun for them. We'll, we'll be there once a week. <laughs> right, exactly. Um yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's really good advice. Um, and it probably is a, a different perspective as somebody who owns a business is looking at it from that, that angle than somebody who's like, hey, I'm a server. I work here and I'm serving, and now there's three loud kids, and it's driving me crazy. But um, So you're really big on that, kind of educating your staff on why that's why that's important. And it sounds like you've done a really good job. Just things you've said throughout the course of this conversation are really um, – having certain philosophies and beliefs that, you know, that that are important to you, but that you've, you've done a good job of educating your staff over the years as to why they're important to you and why they're important to the business. And it sounds like that's a big piece of the puzzle in the restaurant business. I think so. And I think it's because I was a server and nobody ever really explained the stuff to me, you know what I mean? So one of the other big things that we do at Pies and Pints is, you know, our hours on the door say we close at, you know, whatever, 10 o'clock. But if somebody walks in at 10.05, 10.10, 10.15, and we still have people in the restaurant and the ovens are still on, we do not turn them away. That's another thing I cannot stand is when you go to a restaurant, somebody got seated two minutes before you did, and you walk in, and, they're, and they don't even, they're just say, we're closed. Sorry, we're closed. Like, really? Not like we can get you something to go, not, you know, so... That's and but as a server when I was young, you know, I was looking and like, nope, we're closed. Sorry, we're closed. You know, I would have done that. And <laughs> you want to get out of here? Yeah, because you want to get out there. You want to go party. You want to go. You know what I mean? But so when we interview people, we let them know right away. Like this is how we run our business. You know what I mean? Yeah, the hours on the door say ten o'clock, but that doesn't mean we close at ten o'clock. So you need to be prepared. And if you prepare people and you educate the staff and they know that then it's not like they don't get pissed off. They just know that's part of their job. That's that's how we run this business. And I think it's, it's huge. I mean, I you know, if I had to say one word that is a theme in our restaurant and that has made our business successful, it's education all the way around, educating our staff, educating the customers, you know, so that they – so that everybody knows what's going on, what you're, what you're trying to do, what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish, so – that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, do you uh, one more thing, and I'm gonna let you go. But I'm just curious because you thought you know hiring staff and um, finding people that you know you have to educate them, but you also have to get people that are educatable and, and that are willing to um, learn and, and and be a part of you know something bigger than themselves. Well, are there are there things that you feel like you all are, are good at in terms of you know triggers or, or things that you look for when you're hiring people that help you kind of know who to hire and who not to hire. I mean, there's so many people that can give a good interview and whatever, and then they turn into lousy workers. So are there things you've been able to identify over the years that kind of help you, you know, make that process a little better? Yeah, well, I mean, we always try to hire. We, you know, our big, our, I think our number one question that I think really helps to, to seal the deal when we're hiring somebody is, have you eaten at Pies and Pints before? You know, and, of course, we're looking for a yes, and then we want them to tell Tell them. We want them to tell us about their experience, and what we're looking for is somebody that gets excited about what we're doing. Like, 
oh, yeah, I, I ate there. I love the grape and gorgonzola pie, and I love this particular beer. Or, you know, what we're not looking for is, you know, obviously, no, we've never eaten here before. Or, uh, yeah, we ate there. You know, I like the the pepperoni pizza and, you know, and, and the Dr. Pepper. You know, so we want somebody that's excited about food and beer and, you know, more even more specifically what we're doing. And we've had really good luck finding those people. Those are the people that seem to want to work for us. So that works out well for us. That's a great that's a great question. Yeah, you're you're hiring sort of hiring your fans. Um well Kimberly, this has been really awesome, and I just want to I want to thank you for your time because I know you're really busy, and I, I want to thank you for just sharing so many great insights and um, your story, and and I, I tip my hat to your success and and uh, just you know really inspiring, and and uh, I'm, I'm glad you've done well, and y'all keep doing well, and um, I'm actually in Charlotte. You mentioned that folks you know back in the day would come from Charlotte, so uh, in fact, my buddies, I had to miss a guy's trip a couple of years ago to the Gali and I think they're trying to get that going again and I I really want to make it happen. So I'm gonna come I'm gonna come see y'all if we're if we're in that uh part of the world here sometime in the next couple months. Well awesome. Yeah I'll be there um all of October so let me know if you're there and uh that would be great. And I just wanna to say to you Will that uh we really uh like what you've created with Schedule Fly. I've turned several of my other friends on to it as well, and it's a great tool. So thanks for what you do as well. Uh, that was real nice you just said. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, we, we're, we're served to serve y'all. You guys, we love serving cool places like Pod and Pint. So um, uh, I will, I, we, will, we will talk again soon, and thank you so, so much again, Kimberly, for the time, and I just really appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye-bye.